0: But it's great to be here with you guys this morning and to share from God's Word. A little bit more of an intro about myself. I only started um, leading young adults here at church at the start of this year. Um, uh, If you hear my accent, I'm actually from overseas. I've lived here in Australia for 10 years already, but... um, yeah, I'm actually from the Netherlands. I'll talk about that in a little bit more in a second. So I speak Dunglish in case you can't understand, you need a translation. Holy Spirit come upon you right now. Um, I'm married uh, for four and a half years with um, my beautiful wife, Andrea. She couldn't be here this morning, but she sends her regards. And she's a chaplain at um, uh, Flinders Christian Community College down in Tayab. So if you have connections there, I know it's closer to the peninsula this way, um, so you may know her a little bit. Uh, And we have together have a son called Zephaniah. He is one and a half years old, and he causes a lot of trouble, but also a lot of joy, Um, more joy than trouble for us, I can tell you at this stage. Um, We pray that that stays that way. But please, if you have any tips for that in parenting, um, uh, share them uh, with me after the service. All right. Another thing about me is I am also a trained geologist, so next to studying theology stuff, I've also actually studied geology, and specifically volcanoes. And when it comes to science, my heart goes like, yes, that's cool, and I believe when we look at science, we look at the fingerprints of God. That's all I'm going to say about science this morning, because I'd love to talk about that, but sometimes God places another message on your heart, and it's like, okay, God, I'll stick to your things first, first things first. Um, That's the title of my message today as well. My greatest passion in life I want to share with you is to see people reach their full potential in God, their fully God-given potential. And I'd love for you all and also for the young people in this church to actually reach that. And that's what I'm here for and serving you for. Before I actually continue in my message, I want to share a little prompting from the Holy Spirit first. It's actually been a few weeks ago when Jimmy was sharing um, that message um, and that we had that time of spending in God's presence and actually not much of a sermon and an altar call, but actually just spending time in God's presence. And at that time, I was reminded about the story of Mary and Martha. How many of you know the story of Mary and Martha in the Bible? And um, Mary um, sitting at the feet of Jesus and then Martha coming around like... (laughs) Why is she sitting at the feet of Jesus? Jesus, tell her to help me with stuff. And we think, come on, serving. It's all about serving in God's kingdom. Yes, she was right. Well, culturally, yes, she was right. It was the women's task to serve the men in the household. And at the time, Jesus and his disciples were there. So Martha was doing the right thing culturally. And Mary definitely was doing the big no-no, which was not serving, but was actually sitting like one of the men at the feet of Jesus because all the disciples would be sitting at the feet of Jesus, but then Jesus turns around and says, hang on, she's doing the right thing, she's doing the better thing. You may be doing the culturally right thing, but she's doing the right thing by my kingdom. She is not just a woman that should serve men, as that was regarded at the time, she's one of my disciples. She is chosen by me, loved by me, cherished by me. So this morning, before I actually going to start sharing, I actually want to ask you, if you feel like you've been far away from God, if you feel like you're actually not worthy, or people have told you you're not worthy to hear from God, to be a disciple of Him, you feel like you need to be far away and just doing the right things in order to tick the boxes with God and eventually you'll be blessed by Him, I want to encourage you. This message for you today is just as much as for everyone else around this place. You are loved, you are cherished, not by what you're doing, not by even cultural expectations, because that is culture, that's human stuff. But God's love transcends that, and His love reaches out for everyone in this place, whether you're right with Him or not. You are invited to sit at the feet of Jesus, to be one of His disciples, And I actually want to pray into that so you can all receive the message today. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord, that we are here together in your presence this morning, and that we together can receive from your heart. Help us to have open ears and open hearts to receive from you and to be empowered by you, to live out your call for our lives, to live out your expectation for our lives, not just human expectation. And Father, we may not always feel close to you or things have happened in the past or choices that we've made in the past that have actually drawn us away from you. Lord, you are not letting those things stand in the way, but you are inviting us to come back to you and to sit at your feet here this morning and to listen from you. Father, every person here, touch them right now. Show them your love for for them, Lord, and that they will... Hear your heart this morning. Help me to share your heart and help everyone here to receive your heart this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, first things first. As I said, I'm from the Netherlands, and the Netherlands is a kingdom. It's called the Kingdom of the Netherlands, just as the Commonwealth of Australia is called the Commonwealth of Australia. Just FYI. The cool thing about a kingdom is you have... A king or a queen, a royal family with all kinds of royal ceremony and all kinds of royal celebrations. The biggest national holiday in the Netherlands is actually the monarch's birthday. Currently, and let me set this straight for the record in case you have any old tourist guides lying around, currently it is the king's birthday, the 27th of April. Still, every year... For the past six years, the Dutch news reports are that there are these tourists from overseas rocking up in the center of Amsterdam, all dressed in orange, because that's what you do on the king's birthday, dressed in orange and say, where's the party at? Not knowing that the party was actually three days before because they still stick to the old tourist guides, which say the 30th of April, which was the queen's birthday, the queen Mum of the current king. So it's been changed six years ago. So if you have all tourist guides lying around saying 30th of April, national holiday in Holland, chuck it, get rid of it, burn it. Don't get yourself stuck on Dutch news reports as being one of those crazy tourists dressing up in orange three days after the party has finished. 27th of April, okay. But that's not the key of my message. key of my, this story is the 30th of April, once upon a time, was the Queen's birthday. And as I was eight years old, um, she actually visited at her birthday, as she would every year, visited our hometown. So every year she would visit another city. This year, when I was eight, it was our turn. It was our town's turn to host the royal family. And I was selected, as a kid of eight, to sing in front of the Queen a welcome song. That's pretty special, isn't it? me and along with all the other greats, twos to fours of the whole area. So it was a big, giant kids choir. It wasn't just me, in case you were thinking that I was that special. <laughs> and we got to sing this song for the Queen, and then there was this director saying, you have to stick to the protocol. The royal protocol is your standstills, you sing your song, and that's it. Do not wave. But you know, the Queen, as she comes and she's like, ah, this royal wave, and all the kids over goes, ah! get to see. That's actually the closest I've ever been to any royal, any royal family in my whole life, so that was a very special thing, but it was still like about 100 meters distance, (laughs) because this giant gets choir. Anyway, but a day like that is a special day that we connect together as one nation, and collaborate to make it the best day ever, and then celebrate the goodness, the prosperity, the freedom that we experience under that monarch's rule. The same way, as followers of Jesus Christ, we are part of a kingdom too, and we do have a king too. We have our heavenly Father, our God, who rules over us and over our lives. And the cool thing is that as a church, we can connect together as one big family and we can collaborate together to establish God's rules in, in our lives and in our surroundings and then celebrate the goodness of God, His righteousness, His faith, His grace, and His love in our lives, in that of our families, in that of our wherever God has placed us. Amen? So... The Kingdom of God is a pretty big deal to Jesus. If you look at the Gospels, it is kind of like the main topic that he talks about. Jesus was all about the Kingdom of God. And we often tend to ignore that bit in the Gospels. We tend to focus on the goodness of God for us and our personal relationship with God. And yes, they're all part of it. But the actual key message that Jesus came to proclaim was the kingdom of God. And there is one gospel in the Bible that stresses that even more than any of the others. And that's the gospel according to Matthew. And in that gospel, we see Matthew constantly referring to the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. And he really stresses, like no, of, no other of the Gospels, that Jesus is the coming King, the long-awaited Messiah, taking over the throne of David. We see it from the first chapter right until the end. Um, so, in the Gospel of Matthew, we also find the foundations of this kingdom, of the kingdom of God. We find the Sermon on the Mount, which is kind of like a constitution of the kingdom of God. What is the kingdom of God like? And right in the middle of that Sermon on the Mount, we see one call, one big call that Jesus makes to us. He's like talking in the Sermon on the Mount, like it's going up. And then at the climax of it, he says, this is the first thing that you should do out of all things. This is the key thing to everything. And that we read in Matthew 6. 33, where he sees, but seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. That is where he all leads this whole Sermon on the Mount up to, and then he says, and by the way, these are some other things that you um, need to adhere to as part of it as well. But this is the climax, the crux in the sermon. Seek first the kingdom of God. First... Things first. This is the priority that God said himself. Seek first the kingdom of God. And that's why I believe that every Christian should seek first the kingdom of God in order to live according to God's perfect will for their lives. Do you want to know what God's will is for your life? Seek first the kingdom of God. Are you worried about that you may miss the call that God has placed on you? There it is. Seek first the kingdom of God. That is God's priority. It's His priority, so let's make it ours. That's the big idea for today, so now we can go home. (laughs) But that's the key message. But then, thinking about the kingdom of God, we do read about it in the Bible. We do talk about it, not as often as we should, but still. But what is it exactly? What does Jesus mean when He talks to us about this kingdom and I want to h- break this down a bit further and since Matthew talks about it a lot I want to focus on Matthew he's kind of like the expert on the kingdom of heaven for us so let's study Matthew if we look at the gospel according to Matthew we can see it's beautifully written int- intrinsically written probably just written in Greek uh, and then translated in in English for us later um, if we Look at how it's written. It has the language of after 70 AD. Why is that important? 70 AD is the year that the temple in Jerusalem was destroyed by the Romans. The Jews had revolted, um, rebelled against the Roman Empire. The Romans had come in, destroyed Jerusalem and the temple, and the Jews were exiled again from their homeland at that stage. So in this stage, after 70 AD, the Jews did not have their temple anymore. They were destroyed again as a nation. And also, in this time, there was this bitter, bitter divide between Jews and Jewish Christians. Before that, they could tolerate each other. They could live alongside each other. It was like Christians, the Jewish Christians were just a Jewish sect. After that, Christianity became a religion on its own. It was separated from Judaism, because the Christians did not side with the Jews in their rebellion against the Roman Empire, and the Jews have never forgiven the Christians about that. Matthew writes his gospel specifically to these Jewish Christians that had been also taken away from their own homeland, their own homes had been destroyed, and that were now left to their own devices, not protected under Roman law anymore because the Jews were, and now as a separate religion, the Christians were open for full persecution by the Roman Empire. Both the Jews and the Jewish Christians expected a full realization, a physical establishment of God's kingdom in Jerusalem, in Israel. Both had experienced that that was taken away from them. And then Matthew writes, right in that situation, when everything seems lost, he writes to those Jewish Christians saying, take heart. Do not listen to the criticism of the Jews. Do not be anxious or get worried about missing the call for your life or missing the call for God's plan for this world. Because ultimately, the kingdom of God is bigger than what happened in Jerusalem. It is fulfilled in Jesus. And how do we know that that Matthew writes it like that? Well, of course, it's literally in the text. But also, the structure of the book of Matthew is very much like a fulfillment of the law. Um, We know that the Jewish law, the law of Moses, the Torah, as the Jews know know it as, It's written over five books, five sections. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. The same way Matthew is actually written in five main sections as well that all highlight a key message, just as each book in the law highlights a key message as well. And we see those five sections divided as a a bit of story and then a sermon or a big teaching block. So the first bit of Matthew, we see Jesus being born, uh, Jesus' early ministry, and temptation in in the desert as well. And then it goes straight into the Sermon on the Mount, which is three chapters long. And again, a bit of story, and another block of teaching of at least a chapter. And we see this pattern repeated five times. And the writer of Matthew is very, very clear to the Jews that five is the number of the law. Five sections is fulfillment of that same law. Jesus came to fulfill that law. And at the end of it, We see the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, and then the Great Commission. That is where Jesus made the way and commissioned us to join Him in living out that fulfillment of the law. So Matthew's message to these Jewish Christians that are distraught, that are bitterly divided away from their Jewish neighbors, he says, the kingdom of God is fulfilled in Jesus and do not be anxious, do not worry about anything else. Okay, let's have a look more at what this term, kingdom of heaven, as Matthew calls it, um, um, what it actually means. So, in the Greek, it's called basilea ton uranon, which translates literally to kingdom of heaven. So, if you open your Bibles and go to Matthew, and you see in your Bibles... Stated kingdom of heaven, you have a correct Bible translation right there. Because that's what it means. But what does it actually mean? Other than just a realm, what we think with kingdom. The Greek basileia is also used in the Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament. um, For the Hebrew words, malkut or mamlaka, or the Aramaic, malku. And all these words have the same meaning. And they all translate in English to reign and rule, realm, a physical realm, but also sovereignty and the sovereign himself, and power. So when we read in the Bible kingdom, kingdom of heaven, all these four different meanings are implied. It's not just a physical realm. It includes the king himself as well, and it includes his power, his authority, and his work in the world as well. Then also, Matthew adds to the word kingdom, ton uranon, of heaven, which is a very Jewish way of speaking. It is a way of saying it is where the throne of God is, because God is too holy to mention, I'll mention his throne. So, the kingdom of God That was kind of like a no-no. Jews didn't speak like that. They spoke kingdom of heaven. It's the kingdom where God's throne is. Um, Only the the other gospels, they modified it to kingdom of God to talk to the Gentiles because the Hebrew word for heaven um, translated in Greek as in like a solid roof, like the sky was a solid roof to the Greeks, um, which would be weird for those Gentile Greeks. They couldn't grasp where God's throne was. It's like what he's up on the roof so then they went and said, "Oh, it's the kingdom of God, you know oh okay, yeah we can we we can understand that bit, so those crazy Gentiles like us that can't understand Hebrew, just study Hebrew people, just get on with it um no. <laughs> anyway, but also. This kingdom of heaven this title also highlights really where this kingdom is from. It is from heaven. In the our father we pray your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The origin is heaven. It's not an earthly kingdom. It's not a worldly kingdom. And that's sometimes uh, that's something that we sometimes forget. We try to focus on establishing really physical something here on earth and try to take our beliefs and our institutions, our government, and we say, that needs to become Christian. But God is not interested in any of that. He's interested in establishing His kingdom that comes from heaven here on earth, which is different altogether. And we see this highlighted in Matthew chapter 4, verses 8 to 10. We see Jesus being tempted in the desert by the devil. And uh, the devil is trying to draw Jesus away from his call and tries all different kinds of things. And he knows Jesus came as a king. So let's then tease him with all these kingdoms of the world. And in verse 8, he says, Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. All the great things. Like, there you go. All on a silver platter. All this I will give you, he said, if you will fall down and worship me. All the kingdoms of this world. You can have them. That's what you're interested in, aren't you? And then Jesus says, first 10, Away from me, Satan, Jesus declared, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. I am not interested in serving you and this world, in being part of an institution of this world. I'm interested in worshipping God only, the king of heaven, and to serve him only and see his rule, his righteousness established here on earth first. The kingdoms of this world are, in themselves are not in God's interest. He wants to reestablish his own kingdom. and That's something we have to remember. It is different. It is not a kingdom where officers exercise the authority of the ruler like a police force or an army to come in and say, you need to do this and you need to stick to the rules. Something that's being forced on people. But it is a kingdom where the authority and the power of a ruler are expressed in the lives of disciples, of people living it out and then teaching each other about that goodness. And we see that highlighted in the Great Commission where Matthew ends with that Jesus commissions the disciples, they're not called apostles, they're called disciples in that section, to make disciples. God's kingdom is one of disciples making disciples, not of something forced upon. Matthew also shows to us that this kingdom message is key to Jesus' gospel. This is the gospel that Jesus preached. And we see that in Matthew 4, verse 17. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This was Jesus' gospel message. You're wondering what Jesus was preaching? This is what he was preaching. In Matthew 4.23, we see it repeated again. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. Which gospel did he preach? Of the kingdom. And that's something we often forget. That Jesus was all about establishing his rule, his righteousness in this world We focus on personal salvation. And yes, that is part of it. That is an entry into the kingdom. But there is so much more. First things first. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all else will be given to you as well. Okay. Great. We have the biblical evidence that Jesus was all about the kingdom of God. We have kind of a rough idea what Matthew was talking about when he meant the kingdom of God. But how many of you have, like, wrestled with the idea, what is this kingdom of God really physically in my life? I grew up in church. I went to kids' church, youth, and We mentioned the kingdom of God. You talk about the stories. The kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. The kingdom of God is like this. When you accept Jesus in your heart, the kingdom of God is in your heart. So all these different stories. But they never really made sense to me as in, like, really? Like, when does it physically happen? Because, okay, when Jesus comes in my heart, all of a sudden I'm part of the kingdom, yes? But then Jesus will come back and establish his kingdom at the end of day. So, do I still need to wait till the end of day till the kingdom of God comes? And then we have, in the Old Testament prophets, we see already God saying that He's established His kingdom in Israel. So, the kingdom of God was already way be, before this. So, when is the kingdom of God? Where is the kingdom of God? And Jesus Himself, in His gospel, said, the kingdom of God is near. He didn't say, is here. He said, is near. where is He's the king. If the king himself says, it is near, what does he mean? How many of you guys have got like confused with that? I got really confused with that. I'm really being honest. Um, and if we look at the, what people have written, what the kingdom of God is, I've got a whole list for you here, um, so you don't have to um, do the research yourself. Um, firstly, it is God's rule in the believer's hearts. The kingdom of God is within you, the Bible says. When you accept Jesus in your heart, he becomes your king. It is the physical establishment of God's rule and dominion at the fulfillment of time. That's like what Revelation talks about. The king will come and takes up his throne and will dwell amongst his people. God's kingdom will fulfill the whole earth. The end time kind of thing. Then number three, it is Israel. The Old Testament prophets talked about this, right? Then people have said the church has taken over the blessing of Israel, and in Jesus we are all united, so it's the church that is the kingdom of God. And yes, in the letters of Paul we see evidence for this. Then also we have number five, it is an ideal world we should all work towards. So, we know what God's will is, just live it out And you see the kingdom of God happening around you. And this is what social justice movements and the liberation theology have have based their ideas on. And yes, we see that happen in the Bible too. And lastly, it is God's universal reign in the world and His activity, regardless of His people being present or not. So, God works through His people, with His people, but also independently from His people. And I can tell you, in case you're wondering which definition is the right one from all my research, it's all of them. All of these describe the kingdom of God. That's why it's important to keep reminding ourselves what that word kingdom means. It's not just a physical realm, it is also the authority of the king, the rule wherever he's working. He works in us, through us, with us, but also. Without us, He is not dependent on us, but He asks us to join Him on this mission to establish His kingdom, to seek His kingdom first. It is also here, but it's also not yet here. That's why Jesus said the kingdom of God is near. The Greek actually says within approach, you can approach it, so it's within reach. Yes but you're not in it yet. And that's why we see it in the Bible that sometimes the kingdom is like presented as something of the now and sometimes it's presented as something of the future. It is already here because God is already at work in our lives. But at the end of day, it will be fully realized and take over everything and percolate everything and move away anything that's not of him. And this is what Biblical scholars have called the now and not yet principle. The kingdom of God is already here, but also not yet fully here. And we can compare this to the season of spring. And isn't it great that spring has finally arrived? We survived winter. (laughs) Except for after a few nice warm days over the past week, we've just ended in a bit of winter again, isn't it? Like with lots of rain, cold, I was like looking forward to some warm days. But that's spring for you, or every day in Melbourne. (laughs) In spring, we have these nice warm sunny days that are already giving us a glimpse of the warm season ahead of us, that everything springs to life, people are like joyful, get out of their homes finally, reconnect with neighbours, have fun, go to the beach, or do other things what you do in summer. And some days... Remind us of winter. The days passed, but still winter has a grip on it. And it's cold. Everything seems dead and dreary. That is what spring is like. The same way this kingdom now and not yet printable. Some days we see God's work mightily like visible to us. We see the sick being healed, the dead being raised, the poor being fed. God's hand is at work clearly and visibly. And then other days... We see still the kingdom of darkness at work, the rebellion that's going on with the devil and all those rebels with him, creating death, destruction, sickness in the world around us. We see the poor dying of hunger. So when we are looking, when we are seeking for this kingdom, I want to give you a key. How can we seek the kingdom of God in our lives? And there's two questions you can ask yourselves. One is the now question, and one is the not yet question. The first question, the now question, is where is God already at work in this situation? So look around in your families, in your friendship circles, wherever you go. Where is God already at work in this situation? And then secondly, the not yet question. How does God's universal reign look like in this situation? when it's fully established, when it's taken over everything, when it's become universal. How does that look like in this situation? And then you can partner with Him in that. Okay, Jesus called us to seek God's kingdom first. First things first. And we now know how that kingdom looks like, roughly, and how we can find it in our personal lives. But I said, Every Christian should seek first the kingdom of God in according or to live according to God's perfect will for their lives. So, why? Why is this kingdom of God and this call so important to us? Simply, Jesus commanded us to seek God's kingdom first. If the king commands you, as a subject to the king, you obey him, won't you? If he asks us, why shouldn't we make that our priority? It's his priority. Let's make it ours. It's Jesus' mandate for his followers to live out this kingdom of God in every aspect of their lives. Not just with our words, but also with our actions, with our relationships. Wherever we go, that people can see the kingdom of God at work in our lives. That's why we see the Sermon on the Mount. It's got to do with all these relationships, all these things in people's personal lives. It's not something with rules, like the Ten Commandments, but it's actually practical examples of how to live out that kingdom. But if we then look at that Sermon on the Mount, we see it's a pretty high standard. The kingdom is not just an easy-to-go-by kingdom, but it's a pretty high standard. And some have said that because of that high standard, it just highlights the like impossibility of living out this kingdom by ourselves. Jesus says, be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Well, we obviously aren't perfect. We can't do it by ourselves. So we need God's help. But we need more than God's help. We need more than just the Holy Spirit that comes and helps us. Yes, the Holy Spirit does come and help us. But we need more. That's why Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God. As you seek the kingdom, you seek the king because he's included in that kingdom. You need to get to know him. You need to get to know his heart, his heart for your lives, his heart for your families, his heart for wherever you are placed, and living out that heart. That is how you can live out that Sermon on the Mount in your lives. We need him, his help, and a relationship with him. But also, as a kingdom is made up of multiple people, We're not alone in this relationship. We're not alone with the king. We're also together with brothers and sisters around us. And um, as we seek God's kingdom, we can join forces and work together and empower each other as well to seek God's kingdom and to establish God's kingdom. We have been commissioned. We were sent on a joint mission. Attached to this command, there is also a promise which says, all else will be given to you. We see the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus calling out for perfection, calling out for greatness. And you may get worried when you read that, how can I ever live like that? Well, we need to know the King. But then Jesus also speaks into that worry that starts building up. You may get worried about, okay, if I do all that for Jesus, then how can I provide for my family? Jesus, right in that moment, speaks into that worry. Do not worry about what you eat or drink. Do not worry about anything, whether you can attain that perfection or not. All you need to do is seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, because I will provide for you. All else will be given to you. I've experienced this personally in my life multiple occasions. And that is, um, when I started uni once, um, I was 17 and as I was 17, I wasn't legible for government support. You had to be 18. Um, my parents didn't earn enough, so all my savings went to moving out of home, because I had to move to a different city, and survive for the first few months until I turned 18. Of course, I ran out of savings. And uh, my parents did give me some meals, frozen meals, so I at least had dinners. But they should moved out of house. You need milk, you need bread, you need all the perishables. Um, so I went to the supermarket, tried to buy these, but I didn't have any money in my account. I had to leave them and was like, okay, God, you placed me here because I thought I needed to study this and go to this city and all that stuff. Um, have your way. Without telling any of my friends about this, one day, friends rocked up, gave me a bag, of groceries, of perishables, just the basics, milk, bread, all that stuff. I'd run out, but God provided. Um, So, God looks after us very practically. Also, being an academic, working within a uni environment as well, doing science. Science is a really hard work world to be part of an academic environment is a harsh environment it's all about making a name for yourself it's all about putting yourself first and um yeah it's very hierarchical and as a junior academic i was working in an environment where the ones that are below me or my colleagues they were trying to steal my research to make a name for themselves And my bosses, the professors and all that stuff, they were trying to use me so that they can stick their names on my papers and on my research. It was like being jammed in different layers. And in that environment, I experienced severe anxiety. I was actually diagnosed with anxiety because it's just not healthy. Well, you can join the game and try to survive that way. But I believe that goes against God's kingdom principles of serving others and putting others first. Um, so I was really torn and in that time even though I was also seeing professional help and that helped the main thing that saw me through that time of anxiety it was focusing my eyes on Jesus and seeking Him first and focusing on Him all else will be given to you that's a promise that's attached to this command because God is a good God and a good King Lastly, this is the only way that God is going to make disciples and establish His kingdom, if we join in His mission. Because that's why Matthew ends with the Great Commission. Jesus says, all power and authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Jesus has the power. He's the king. But then He gives His disciples the power to establish His kingdom. And He says, therefore, go and make disciples of all all nations, teaching them all that I have commanded you and baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We are commissioned as disciples of Jesus to go out and make disciples of the people around us. And we can only do that if we see God's kingdom first. If we first look at where is God already at work in this situation and then join in with Him, to make that situation look like that God's rule is fully at work. We see this in history. The early church, they were the first to establish hospitals. They were the first to look after the poor. They were the first to actually break through society that was highly divided in different classes. It was a no-no for a rich person to look after a poor person or a poor person to approach a rich person in Roman society. But the Christians, they were from every every class in society and they joined hands together and they looked after the poor, they looked after the sick. Something that the Romans would not do. But after 300 years of doing that, the Roman Empire gave way for the kingdom of God. A small group of people living out that kingdom grew into a massive move that took over the Roman Empire. What happened after that? That's up for debate. The same way in our lives, we can take on this world. We can take God's kingdom and establish it here in this world. We have been commissioned. We have been sent out. And I want to encourage you. God has placed you for a specific purpose in the lives of your families, your friends, uni, work, your neighborhoods, wherever you go, to establish His kingdom in that situation. No one else can do that but you. God has called you. But for that, we need to seek first God's kingdom and His righteousness and He will then do everything else both in your lives as well as in the lives of yourselves. So how about you? Do you want to live according to God's perfect plan and will for your lives? Do you want to live up God's call for your lives. In any situation, ask yourselves these two questions, the now and not yet questions. They're key. Where is God at work in the situation? With your families, with your friends? And then, where can you join Him? How would it look like if God's righteous rule is present in that place, if God has fully taken over in that place. I want to end with one story. And that is a story in Cambodia. There was a pastor. He was miraculously taken from the streets and went to Bible college. Um, God had called him mightily because he was in drugs and all that stuff and then found God and then went to Bible college. But then no church would hire him after that because he looked like someone off the streets. He still had all the tattoos and all that stuff. One day he saw a slum being cleared and people being evicted from that area, taken away in big trucks. And then God spoke to that guy and he said, there goes your congregation, go after them. So he went after them. They were placed in a swamp, an area useless to the government. There you go, you can build your lives up in that area again. So, this pastor came in that area, and he, he, the first thing he asked himself, okay, God is already at work in this situation because I'm, I've been placed in him, but how does God's righteous rule look like in this situation? Well, he thought back of the Genesis story, and that's where God created dry land for, as a basis for creation. So, in this area, in a swamp, let's create dry land. So, he started digging trenches, and everyone joined him with that, and they drained the land. It became dry. Then, he asked himself, how does God's righteous rule look like in this situation? Everyone has houses. So, he started building houses, and people joined him. Then, the next thing is, how does God's righteous rule look like in this situation? Well, people need medical care and facilities. So, he wrote to all his pastor friends from Bible College, and um. Said, like, I've, I'm in this area, who can help, who can send help? And different pastors responded and they sent in mobile medical posts, people from their churches that would come in one day a week to tend to the medical needs of these people. Then, also, the other thing was this area was quite far away from the city, but everyone, in order to provide for their families, had to work in the city. So they traveled very far over terrible roads to go into the city and be away from their families for a while to come later back bring, come back and bring resources back. So, he asked himself, how does the righteous rule of God look like in this situation? A proper road connection, so that families can be united. So, together they built this road. Now, the government was interested in that area, because it was dry land, it had medical facilities, and it had infrastructure. They wanted to develop this land and the trucks and bulldozers got ready to evict the people again from their land. And then this pastor asked himself, how does God's righteous rule look like in this situation? And then he said, over my dead body. God has given these people a home. God's righteous rule is that this home won't be taken away from them. So he stood in front of those bulldozers, in front of those trucks. And he said, you guys can't take these people away unless you take me first. The government gave in and acknowledged these people as the rightful owners of that land, of that area. And as these people's circumstances were uplifted in this whole situation, also a booming church was established. God was at work in that whole area, but He used one person who constantly asked, how does God's righteous rule look like? in this situation. So today, I want to encourage you to live out God's plan for your lives. You can do the same in your families. You can establish God's rule in your situations. So if you want to, please stand to your feet and I'd love to commission you to go out and um, establish God's kingdom to seek his kingdom first, to make his priority your priority, that his kingdom will be established in your families, in your relationships too. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord, for bringing us here this morning to um, share from your heart, Lord, what your priority is. And your priority is to seek your kingdom first, to seek you first, and your rule and your righteousness, your faith, your grace, and your love. Lord, and we pray, establish that in our lives. We are here to be commissioned by you. We want to follow you, seek you first, seek your kingdom first. And we know that you will provide all else. And Father, as everyone is standing here, Lord, will you commission them to go out and to make disciples by living out your kingdom in their lives. To see where you're already at work, in their families, in their relationships, in their friendships. And that they will partner with you to see your full universal righteous rule established in that situation. Taking over everything. To see lives restored, people healed, people being cared for, people connecting to your heart. The heart of a loving Father. And to see your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Church, be blessed, be commissioned in Jesus' name. Amen.